0: This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner-Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts.
1: The silence. Look the
0: Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Today you have just me. That's it, Clint Walkner. So today I'm going to try this by myself. It might be an epic fail or it might just be just podcast brilliance. I have no idea. But I'm sitting in the office by myself looking outside in the real street at a big dump truck and uh, wondering when this is ever going to end. So to all our clients that have gone to the Monroe Street office, thank you for enduring all of the construction. And uh, I promise it'll be great when it's finished. Um, I had nothing to do with the construction, but uh, I think it's going to be wonderful. And I'm so happy that I can turn right now on Glenway and Monroe Street. So uh, the podcast topic that I'd like to handle uh, today is uh, a bit more about investing. And the general principles behind our investment strategy. So, I got some questions from uh, Jonathan and Mitch when they first started, and they were just kind of wondering, you know, how do we construct portfolios, and how do we do it, um, and how what sort of research goes into uh, our investment options, and what sort of principles do we follow as a firm. So today, I decided to share with all of you, some of the general principles that we believe in, and also um, some of the things that you might want to do if you happen to manage a portion of your own portfolio yourself, uh, or you can see a little bit more about what we do as a company here at Walkner Condon and, and what makes us a little bit different. So first and foremost, I was trying to come up with a nice acronym. So um, I came up with CATS, uh, C-A-T-S. So here we go. Um, first principle that we have in asset management is correlation. And what this basically means is that there's a whole bunch of different asset classes out there. And when I say asset classes, I mean large, medium, and small companies, U.S. companies, uh, emerging market companies. Um, you know, there, it can be sector-specific with, uh, you know, you've got an Indian stock market index, and you've got bond funds, and all of different types of sectors and flavors. And And all this means is that They don't all move in lockstep with one another. So, for example, commodities does not correlate. It does not move in the same manner as U.S. equities do, or U.S. stocks, as I'm saying. When I say equities, I mean stocks. So, uh, you know, in general, what we want to do is when we construct a portfolio, we don't want all of our asset classes going up at the same time, nor do we want them all going down at the same time if we want to spread out the risk. Now if we didn't want to spread out the risk at all, we, you know, and I always say to our clients, you know, if you want to make a lot of money in the stock market, you do the exact opposite of what we recommend. You just put all your chips on red in the roulette, roulette wheel and you hope. And uh, you know, for some people that could be a viable strategy. If you bought Facebook stock years and years ago, you know, you're doing very well right now if you decided that that was the only stock that you wanted to own. But conversely, those that owned a significant portion of their uh, stock in Enron, which a lot of people did because a lot of people had 401k plans that had employer stock in Enron, and Enron went bankrupt and a lot of their wealth disappeared. So, you know, what we choose to do as a firm is diversify and make sure that our assets don't have the same correlation to them. So, for example, that's why we have stocks in our portfolio and bonds, because oftentimes when stocks are doing poorly, uh, bonds do a little bit better, particularly long-term treasury bonds, which are kind of a hedge against those those stock market declines. Some people tend to use gold as a hedge in their portfolio, and, and that's a viable solution because uh, gold is that shiny little yellow fear bar, and therefore that tends to do well during times of uncertainty and fear. And it, it does not tend to do well uh, during periods of time of relative calm. So that's not to say that you should try to have gold some in your portfolio sometimes and not have it in others, it might be a decision that you decide that you want to uh, you know, maintain an allocation to that at all times. Uh, or when you're starting to feel like the market is overvalued, you might want to own a little bit of it. And uh, that might be one of the asset classes you consider. So that's our C, correlation. And so we, we select asset classes that do not have correlations to one another. Um, some of them will be correlated. Like, for example, international stocks and US stocks uh, do have a fairly strong correlation, but there are periods of time where uh, the perform- performance is a bit different for the two asset classes. For example, right now, um, year to date in 2018, uh, US stocks have done fairly well. Uh, emerging market and developed market stocks haven't done as well, and part of that is um, Political, uh, part of that is like tariff related, and you know that's that's something that has been driving those rates of return. Uh, and part of it is that their economies are just on a different path in the U.S. right now, and the U.S. economy is doing very well. Um, and, but it doesn't mean that it won't turn around. For example, last year it was a very good year in emerging markets. And so, what we try not to do is pick those winners and losers. Uh, we try not to time it. Uh, we try to uh, diversify our portfolios and have a significant amount of exposure to. Uh, certain asset categories and make sure that everything isn't correlated together. The second in our cats, uh, uh, I, I don't have Nate here to like translate for me today, so it's it's hard. But um, second in cats is uh, allocation. So we want we spend a significant amount of time figuring out how we're going to allocate our portfolios and uh, to figure out how much should we put into each box. So. In our correlation example, we kind of select out the, the certain uh, categories that we want to focus on and then, you know, what percentage goes into each one of those boxes. And so it's it's very important that we get the allocation right. Um, many people have said that allocation is um, the most important principle uh, of what you do, and, and I would tend to agree on that. I think that uh, allocation should be the thing that most investors spend the bulk of their time, and that is, okay, well, you know, how much should we put in those boxes? Um, You know, how much do we put in that large company uh, box? And how much do we put in that mid-cap and small-cap box? And what's undervalued and what's overvalued at this time? And and particularly right now, what's important is, you know, how much do you put in those uh, bond boxes, and where do you put those assets? Right now, we've seen an increase in interest rates, and that definitely has a bearing on, you know, what's going to happen on the bond market. Said another way, long-term bonds right now uh, have done rather poorly for the year, and that is because interest rates go up. So when interest rates are rising, the longest-term bonds that you have in your portfolio will likely do the worst. So long-term corporate and government bonds now are not doing as well because uh, interest rates have been rising. And, and particularly long-term government bonds, which aren't paying much for yield to start with, um, have been on a bit of pressure uh, right now. So uh, you know that's one of those things where how much do you put in each one of those boxes relative to market conditions? Or do you make an active decision yourself is you don't care what sort of market conditions are are happening. You're going to give up rate of return in certain situations, even knowing the environment knowing that you don't know enough about the investments and how they're going to behave uh, to make an educated decision. And, you know, that may sound like me being critical of that. I actually really respect that strategy. I think a lot of hedge fund managers uh, tend to use that strategy, too, of saying, hey, look, I'm going to end up maintaining this allocation because I have no idea what's going to happen. And, and you know, I, I, I see a lot of... um I see a lot of investors always want to do something. always want to change their allocation. And and sometimes just sitting there and letting it ride and letting it go is not an inactive strategy. In fact, it might be the most active strategy is watching it, monitoring it, and making sure that you're maintaining your asset allocation instead of tinkering too much. Um, We, especially as men, always want to do something, you know. Our best investors um, that we have inside of the firm, this is totally my opinion, but you know, I, I think that women are great investors overall. And the reason why they're great investors is that um, they tend to take advice well. Um, you know, I, I think that that it's wonderful that they're able to do that. And, and get, as men, we we oftentimes just want to uh, discard somebody's advice or think that we can do it better, because we're oftentimes stubborn and pig-headed and uh, kind of control freaks. So. You know, it, it's interesting in that perspective of of saying, "Hey, I want you to maintain this allocation and not touch it, and otherwise you might wreck it." And uh, so, maintaining that allocation is is a lot more difficult than it may seem, particularly when the market is reacting. I mean, somebody could look back and say, "Say to us, well, you maintained your allocation uh, much throughout the year. Uh, if you knew the tariffs were coming up, why didn't you go and totally reallocate the portfolio and buy only U.S. stocks?" Well. It's because that nobody knew how the tariffs were going to, whether they're going to stay or not stay. We still don't know we don't know what sort of economic impact they are yet going to have. We don't even know if they're going to be bona fidely implemented right now, so if we were to be moving around allocations on a guess and a bet, I'd rather do nothing than to do a lot so you know that's just a, a point in time, but there's always something that goes on that has an impact on people's portfolios and and oftentimes, it's just best to keep your allocation if you don't know. I mean, that's that's just what I found in my career is that maintain that allocation when you don't know. Because if you have the proper, and going back to the correlation thing, if you have the proper asset classes and they aren't all correlated together, uh, usually something will go up when something else goes down and it will balance out a bit in your portfolio. The third in my CATS acronym, that's what I was trying to think of. I have Nate in my head someplace. The T Time frame, and so uh, most people say, okay, you know, you can't time the market, you shouldn't time the market. Timing the market is a futile exercise. And to them, I would say, it all depends on your time frame, because if we have a time frame that's really short, you know, if you came to me today and said, hey, Clint, I want, I need you to invest my money for me, and I said, well, what's your time frame? What are you looking at here? And you said, "I I got 12 months. Well, then timing the market is incredibly important at this period of time. And oftentimes, if you had 12 months, I would tell you, you know, that we shouldn't invest your money particularly in stocks because we have no idea. It's just a coin flip. Over long periods of time, equities tend to do well. But there are periods of time and fairly long periods of time where equities have underperformed. And so, therefore, timing and time frame is incredibly important. Over long periods of time, I think timing the market is fairly futile, you know, and especially if you're going to react to your investments. I mean, trying to get the buy side right and the sell side right in a more tactical asset allocation model, meaning that you're going to make more changes to time the market, I think it's just so difficult. And and for me, I don't really believe in that investing. I do believe that there are times when tactical investing does work. But you know, as a firm, we don't really carry that expertise, nor do I want to carry that expertise in the firm. I mean, we're, we're mostly long-term investors that really uh, believe in maintaining their asset allocation. We tweak around the edges we we you know do our best to select securities but you know investing is one component of what we do a lot of what we do is financial planning and estate planning and tax management and asset location of placing the assets in the right places and it's not necessarily you know the timing of the market now i will say that all that with one caveat and that is if you're going in there and you're investing a large pile of money that you received from an inheritance or you won the lottery or you know if you've got a large windfall all at once then you may want to use, you know, speak with your advisor to see how you want to time that out. Oftentimes, you know, if you've got a big windfall, it may not make sense for you to plop it all into the market all at once, just in case the market's at a high. So oftentimes when we see people with larger lump sums, we just say, okay, well, if they're coming from cash and they're coming into the market, perhaps we should bleed this in over a period of time just in case the market doesn't cooperate with us. And other people say, this is a 20 to 30 year investment. I don't care when I time it because the timing won't matter over that long period of time. And you know what? They're probably right if it's a long period of time. But if it's a short period of time, getting the timing right on there is inherently really important. And the last in my acronym, CATS, is security selection. So, you know, uh, there's a tons of different ways that people tend to do it. And I'll kind of tend to tell you how we have uh, come to a conclusion where we're at in our firm. And, from a security selection standpoint, there are some people over in this camp that are indexers that say, what we want to do is buy just indexes, stock market indexes or bond market indexes that replicate a group of stocks or a group of bonds. Now, the best known for this would be like the S&P 500, which is essentially the 500 largest U.S. companies in market capitalization so it means that if if a company gets bigger and bigger, they're actually a higher component of that s and p five hundred index so Apple is grown in size you know each year seemingly um, in market capitalization to become a larger and larger percentage of that s and p five hundred index and those are very low cost because basically the s and p five hundred is published out there, and to replicate that index is very simple, and now they've even gotten to the point where fidelity offers um they're just rolling out indexes that have zero cost to them. There is no cost to invest in them, which to me is mind-blowing and crazy. But, uh, you know, I want to know how they're going to make money long-term off this strategy. Uh, I'm <laughs> if we decided at Kind County we were going to charge people nothing for our asset management and not take any commissions of any kind or do anything, I don't think we'd stay in business very long. So I, I, I'm curious to see how Fidelity does it. They also said they're not going to do securities lending. So I, I don't know what that means because a lot of these companies make their money off securities lending, and that's how they're able to provide low-cost investments. Um, so I, I don't know if Fidelity is going to do this. Uh, I, I I find it hard to believe they're not going to do securities lending, but that's just an aside. Anyways, um, these indexers say basically that there, there is no, if you're, a, if you're a pure index person, you say there, there's no benefit to active management at all. In other words, that uh, having humans or robots pick uh, securities is a futile exercise, and it's very difficult to do over long periods of time. And even if they do it for a little while, it's more luck related to actual manager skill. And you know what? The statistics would say overwhelmingly that that's actually true. And so that's, that's why we use a lot of index funds in our, in our management. And, and it's not that we are passive Investment advisors like we don't just set an allocation and forget it forever and have the same things in our portfolios. But you know, we do use a lot of index funds because, uh, in many cases, active management is not shown to outperform. And where it has shown to outperform, it has been ex- expensive to get into the, some of those places like emerging markets. You know, some of those uh, managers can charge one and a half, two percent two um, percent, and to maintain a long term track record. With that sort of expense is very difficult. And so, you know, a lot of these active managers out there, of which are very, very prevalent in our industry, um, you know, they charge an asset management fee because they have to keep their doors open. There's nothing wrong with active management at all, but you have to assure that they are able to kind of meet their mandate. And is their mandate to beat a benchmark? Is their mandate to protect wealth on the downside? You know, relative to their benchmarks, which are published, you know, how have they performed? So yeah, I, I like kind of uh, I like quasi active management uh, right now actually, uh, which is kind of called smart beta now, which is basically saying that they're using computer models more to p- to pick um, to pick securities uh, inside of these. So for example, uh, one of the companies that we use, just to give an example, I'm not even going to give the name of the company, but one of the companies that we use, they take the S and P 500 and they rank. The S&P 500, based on a number of different factors. So they they take these factors and they do price momentum, they do price to earnings and price to book and and uh, a bunch of different things like that. And this is just an example, but uh, and then they they take them and then they rank the stocks. And so they cut off the bottom 100 that don't even make their screens, and then they rank the top 400 stocks in a certain manner. So they you know make the best stocks weighted the highest, and they they take it down the path there and, and make the the lowest ranked, you know kind of the lowest um, exposure inside of the portfolio if they weren't cut. So you know to me, this makes some sense as long as the portfolio expense isn't that high. And because computers are doing a lot of this, um, they're at a much lower cost than say an active manager who has a team and they might go visit uh, places. So you're seeing these traditional active managers get kind of crowded out now by technology and by lower-cost investment vehicles. And for the investor, this is a total win. This is a total win because what we're seeing is that we have investment products that have been developed over the last 10 years that are really thoughtful um, and take kind of a blend of the best of the active and passive worlds, and, and they put them together in some of these uh, smart beta indexes, and they're getting lower and lower in cost every day. So I find it to be fascinating that we're, we're in the investing Time frame that we are because we've never had more choice, we've never had lower cost, and we're seeing even even costs like trading costs are, are basically going away right in front of our eyes. So you know it's a wonderful time to be an investor right now because of the amount of choice that we have. And investment advi- as investment advisors, it provides us a lot of tools then that we can select that are low in cost. And you know, frankly. I don't know whether indexing is going to win or smart beta is going to win or active management is going to win. I don't know that. I know the statistics tell me that indexing will probably win. But I also like the thought and the feeling that um, sometimes humans do it better and sometimes computers do it better and, and sometimes not just indexing is the way to go. So what we do personally in our firm is that we offer choice. Uh, because we're not absolutionists we're going to go out and offer some choice and so we do have strategic portfolios and we have dynamic portfolios kind of based on, on kind of those smart beta investments um, we mostly do use etfs um, in our book it's almost entirely etfs now so exchange traded funds are traded intra day so during the day um, so they're they're a bit liquid and uh, we find them to be uh, you know a little bit more low cost than, say, a traditional actively managed mutual fund. Um, and they have some tax advantages, too, uh, for people in taxable accounts. So we tend to, to use them uh, a lot with our portfolio management, and, and we're big believers in ETFs. So, so we in, in Walkner-Con and WalknerCon uh, believe strongly in the now developed, none of, I haven't run this by the guys at all, but I've now developed the CATS philosophy. It's uh, correlation, allocation, time frame, and security selection. Um, so to build a portfolio, you need all four of those uh, components, and to know what your philosophy is around them. Um, you know, many people choose to use investment advisors to help them. Uh, you know, to do all these things and to help them self-select all of these investments um, and, and select managers in some cases too, to to help us uh, with allocating some of those if we don't have expertise in certain areas. So, um, yeah, the investing world is a is a vast one, and hopefully, I've given you a few things to think about. Thank you for joining me on giving giving you some truth this week and, uh, you know, please free to, to leave some feedback and hopefully you didn't miss all the guys this week but you just got me so thanks for joining me You've got to
1: leave your money behind you Raise your hand to the sky Ask the masses of silence Advisory services are offered through Walkner-Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner-Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principle as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of the investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner-Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner-Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see WachnerCondon.com for additional disclosures.